What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Making the Shift. If you are here with us live on video, you will see. I have Teddy in my arms, so we're just going to pray he's a good baby for the next 30 minutes, but I am so excited to have this conversation today. Today, we were talking all about building allyship, and I have some special guests here today. I have brought on a co-host, and some of you may know her. If you have been through any of my programs, you would know her. She is an SLP assistant of many years also in grad school right now, getting her master's in speech. She is the mom of three boys, and she is my right-hand gal, my COO, Selena Wright. Hello, everyone. Thanks for hopping on and listening to today. I'm really excited uh, to be here with Jesse and our guest for today. Yes. So Selena and I were planning on recording an episode on this topic, And then it was just very serendipitous. I got introduced to Dr. Jennifer Hutton through a mutual friend of ours. And it felt like it like all came into alignment. And Dr. Jennifer Hutton is a pediatric physical therapist turned allyship strategist. And she has an incredible podcast that Selena and I have been binging called Beyond Allyship. And we are just so excited to have you, Jen. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you all. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to set the stage for this episode and fill in for the audience what I had told you, Jen, when I reached out to you about this recording, which was there were a couple of recent events that kind of like triggered our wanting to bring this forward. And the first one was, as many of you know, if you've been watching the show or listening, that we did an interview with Lyric Rivera, who is part of the LGBTQ community, and we posted about it on social media, and it was just this outpouring of hate. Like, I had to turn off the comments because it was so horrible, and I must, and I realize now how naive I am because to me, it was like, that wasn't even a controversial topic because I surround myself with people who are so inclusive and I live in LA and we have tons of same sex couples in our clinic. And like, this is something that is such a part of my life every day. And it was just something that, you know, made me realize how much hate there is out there in the world and how we need to work on inclusivity so desperately. Mm-hmm. And then the second event was a little bit more recent, which some of you, if you're in the speech world, you may know about but it was a very big virtual conference, probably you know one of the biggest virtual conferences for SLPs that happen every year. Chris and I were asked to speak. We were excited, we accepted. 
And then the day that they announce the lineup, everyone notices, wow, this is one huge group of white people. That's all it is. And ultimately, Chris and I decided to withdraw. And that's because it really did not, it didn't align with what our values and our mission were in what we were trying to do in our work. And it was just one of those things where I think it was a learning experience for everyone. And um, I don't know, it just feels crazy. And tell me if I'm wrong, Jen. And I know this is your world, so you're so immersed in it too. But it was yeah. like, how does that still happen was my first thought. Mm, which part? <laughs> <laughs> the first of it or the second of it? Um, the second one with the conference there's something that we talk about when it comes to racial identity development. And there's a stage in probably like seven to eight and then 12 to 14, where typically someone who is of color or someone who is from marginalized community faces some type of conflict. And the conflict is about that identifier that they cannot change. And that is when they have to reconcile who it is to be, insert identifier, in whatever community they live in, in whatever country they live in. If you've never felt out of place, if you've never identified with a marginalized community, if you've always been around people who look like you, um, if everywhere you go, you fit in, then you never really face that conflict. <laughs> you never have to ask, oh, there's nobody that looks like me, or oh, there's nobody that speaks like me, or there's nobody with this that speaks this language. So you fit in everywhere you go. And if you never have to face that pivotal conflict, then you're probably going to continue in that phase of racial identification for the rest of your life until 2020 happened when everybody was like, oh, this is conflict. <laughs> it was on the world stage for it didn't matter who you were, you saw what happened and you had to reconcile within yourself. Was this really about you know, this person being Black, was this really this, X, Y, Z? And so now all the races are saying, okay, I have a lot of questions. I don't understand how this happened. What are the statistics? Is this happening all over the country? So this was a conflict that we all had to face together. And now so many more people are aware that you're going to have more people react like you did to look at it and say, whoa, there is no diversity in this space. But the fact of the matter is, Everybody doesn't go through that phase and actually come out and say, I want to be different. I want to make things different. Some people say it's comfortable. So I'm just going to remain in the majority. And wherever I go, if I'm in the majority, I'm cool with that. So I think that's why you can still see it. But I also think it's going to change because of people like you who see it and say, yeah, this is not okay. Definitely. We were talking about a little bit before we got on the call with you, Jennifer, that it, for me, an important factor of reflecting for myself is asking myself, how often have I been uncomfortable in spaces? And I'm not talking about have others made me uncomfortable? How often have I set to make myself uncomfortable? Because mm -hmm. we know that in that uncomfortability, there's growth that happens there, as long as you're willing to be accepting of it. Um, and I think there's a distinction there, someone else making me feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. um, which for me personally has happened, you know, I, and like Jesse, 
uh, living in Southern California, there were things of privilege that I think I took for granted. I have diverse friend circles. Our state association has made huge strides, definitely in the last several years, especially to challenge our biases. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of took that for granted that there are other lots of spaces that do that work. And then we realize it's unfortunate and really disheartening to know that that doesn't happen. Um, So there, I appreciate what you said right now in it takes you to be an agent of change. And I love Mm -hmm. what you talk about at being an actionable ally as well, that you're not willing to just be aware of it, but you're also action. So if you could speak a little bit more on that, I, I really appreciate what you have to say on that topic. Yeah, I think um, it's funny, a lot of in 2020, a lot of black people were trying to throw the term ally away. And it was simply because we had been talking about this and calling people this for so long, but we're still seeing the same issues and, and people still aren't comfortable speaking up. So there were a lot of people who were like, we don't want an ally. We want something that's stronger than an ally. And in my head, I'm like, well, actually we could just, let's just build up what that definition should mean. Let's just actually follow those steps. And so I always say allyship should be a verb and not a title. I don't care if it's in your bio. I don't care what, I care what books you read just for the knowledge sake, but your knowledge isn't going to help free people who have been oppressed by these systems that we speak on. So if you say, I want to be an ally, then I come around and I challenge, how about you say you want to walk in allyship? Because if I can help you make allyship a core value, this isn't going to be something that you have to remember. It's going to become second nature. If you start to take the steps to say, how can I show up for other people? How can I look outside myself? And it's funny, you said something, you know, you've been othered. Women have been othered. Like we, we live in a patriarchal system. But then when you look and say, okay, but I'm also a white woman, Unfortunately, in our systems, your whiteness precedes you being a woman. So yes, you've been othered, but then there's still some privileges that you even have simply because of the color of your skin. So I tell people, even those that are in the marginalized communities, I say, okay, but who doesn't feel safe in whatever identifier you have? Because if we say women have been oppressed, yes, What about disabled women? What about black women? What about trans women? Like we look at the the wholeness of that community and say, okay, but there's still a hierarchy here, here according to our systems. How do we work with that? So I truly believe anyone can walk in allyship. It doesn't matter who you are. You can probably find a privilege that you have that someone doesn't have and figure out how to make your privilege powerful for someone else. So those are some of the beliefs that I have surrounding allyship. Definitely. That's powerful. Um, Something that you were saying about being othered, for me, I've had to also come to terms with the fact that I can be othered within my own community, you know, and there are certain stereotypes of what, for me, a Hispanic woman should look like what mm-hmm. I should do how I should present mm-hmm. and I I show up as myself and I've been proud of my Hispanic heritage my Mexican heritage my yeah. mom's from New Mexico and there have been times where that's been misunderstood or not not identified and I didn't realize it I think until like the last three years 
that that's troubling to me that there are mm-hmm. people. And so I've been more vocal in the last mm-hmm. few years because people have not identified that. And mm-hmm. I think, gosh, how many other people are living that experience too, where they're othered in their own, you know, community. And it's like, I, sh- I should at least have my community, you know? Um, and so Can I, think I give really con- a context to that for a second, Selena, because yeah. yeah. there was a, a, a situation that happened not too long ago where Selena was given an opportunity to speak with some other people and someone said to her, oh, well, everyone's white. And Selena's like, actually, I'm Mexican. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they said, oh, well, you're white passing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Do you want to speak on it? Go ahead. Yeah. And I, and it's something that culturally my family's dealt with, you know, over the years, my grandparents are all bilingual, but they grew up in a time where assimilation was top priority. So they didn't teach their children the language. They discouraged Mm. their children from using the language. And then that passed down generationally where my generation um, in my family, a lot of us aren't bilingual. Mm -hmm. And it's been a pain point for me. Um, And I've, you know, tried uh, to pick up and I speak some, but I think that I've thought there's so much more to like, I think that's the other thing is sometimes people view culture in a very myopic lens. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very, it's very uh, narrow and you have to do X, Y, and Z. And if you don't, you, you know, we don't identify you that way. It's like, but there's so much more Mm -hmm. art and culture and all of these other things that I do participate in that if you were in my life, you would see and recognize. Um, And so then I think far too many of us don't sit in the seat of curiosity to learn more about people. We think we already know you. We think, oh, and because you don't clearly match my definition of what a Hispanic woman should and should like how she should sound or what Mm -hmm. language you should speak, then I already know that you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, instead of being curious and asking about my lived experience and what my story looks like. That's another thing I've invested a lot in the last few years is the story work and holding other people's story. And in that, we have to be in that seat of curiosity and listening. And as SLPs, that's paramount to what we do. You're missing the mark if you're not sitting in that, that seat of curiosity. You're already losing, in my opinion. Absolutely. That's and I can identify with you in that, um, being a light-skinned Black woman um, in my own community have definitely been othered and made fun of um, because of the light skin. It, it was a joke. Um, I did have privilege in terms of going to private schools my whole life. Uh, I had two parents in my household, one with a very good job and one was able to stay home and support. And I had to reconcile my Blackness at a very early age, because I recognized I have privileges that even some of my friends didn't have. And so I don't think it was until I had gotten out of high school and actually gone to a historically Black college where I got to see a spectrum of us. And I was like, man, like this is all Blackness. And once I was able to internalize that, it really didn't matter what even my people had to say to me because it looked like, no, 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 we have spectrum. And what I'm going to do is represent that spectrum. I'm going to be proud of what I know. 
and, and curious about what I don't know. I'm curious about all of the experiences within our community. And honestly, there, there will always be someone in your community who will try to other you. It's just nature. Like, it's just how it works. But I think that's the important part of us being able to reconcile who we are with ourselves so that we can represent something not just to others, but to our people as well. Because there's been a, a plenty of Black kids who have been like, man, I didn't know we could, and I didn't know we could, and I didn't know we could. And that's more important to me than the naysayer. Now, there have also been times when I've had to look at a panel that's supposed to be women of color <laughs> and say, hey, it's a whole lot of light skin on this. <laughs> I'm going to bow out because this is not representation. If all of us are e either look like we have some type of mixed or we are white passing, I'm like, this is not representative of the entire spectrum. We need some color in here. We need some different lived experiences. So that's where I found also my allyship. And to say, I do acknowledge that my light skin is a privilege. I do acknowledge that white people feel more comfortable talking to me about some of these topics because I have light skin and I have to decide how I move based off that information. But it's never, I can, Selena, I can say it's never, it's never comfortable when your own people look at you and, and put you in a different box. And my hope is that that can change the more that we speak up about it. I appreciate that perspective. And when you described it as a spectrum, I had this light bulb moment that we in our own communities, we need to stand up for that spectrum. So I'm going to continue to advocate for people who look like me in my group, people who don't, people who speak the language, those who don't, um, or a, a certain language or dialect. And when you speak about allyship, the way that I identify with it is being, I use this term a lot, a stakeholder. Mm. Because if you identify yourself as a stakeholder, you know that you are impacted not to the extent necessarily of others in that group, mm -hmm. but you see some skin in the game mm -hmm. as a stakeholder. And uh, even talking about diversity and inclusion from a, a professional perspective, in mm -hmm. the state of California, we have SLPs who are master's level clinicians, and then we have SLPAs who are associates or bachelor's level clinicians. Mm -hmm. And there's been a differential there in you name it. And so whenever I talk about or have spoken on SLPA topics, I, I include SLPs, SLPs, but also stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And those stakeholders can include, you know, government, the people at the level of government, people at the latest, uh, level of state government licensure, because it, we talk about this on the team too, you know, I win, you win, mm -hmm. I lose, you lose. And that can apply to this space as well. Yeah, there's a quote and apparently the activist doesn't like to be attributed to it. She wants the whole Aboriginal group because she said it comes from a collective. But she's basically saying, if you only see yourself as a helper in this work, then I don't want your help. <laughs> when we realize that we're an ecosystem and that my wellness is dependent on your wellness, my health is dependent on your health, the air in our community is important for all of us. When we're looking at it as the ecosystem and how we are all moving parts, then you do feel like, no, 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 I'm doing this for all of us. This isn't just because I believe you should not be oppressed. This is because I know your wellness impacts my wellness. And as healthcare providers, I really wish we embodied that because we have the same issue. We have uh, bachelor's level PTs. We have master's level PTs. We have doctor level PTs. 
And unfortunately, there's hierarchy within that. So it just, it's, I think there's so many pieces of what I call supremacy culture that has seeped into every aspect of every profession that it takes people who can see it, who have had to navigate a world where they are not in the majority to be able to come into the table and say, hey, these are the things that we embody in our culture that are not helpful for all. And these are the things that we can change. And I think these are the conversations that help the masses see it. So I'm I'm so grateful that you all are doing this. I would love if you could share, you know, one of the things Selena and I were fangirling about when we were talking about you was like that it's like you were speaking about earlier. It's this is about action. Like this isn't just about saying like, I'm here for you. I'm here to support you. Like we were talking about being a stakeholder, being an agent of change, like mm-hmm. actually putting time and energy into that. And I was wondering if you could speak to how therapists, you know, just like us could like where they can start. Cause I think a lot of this comes from like Selena was talking about, they feel uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. and that makes them not even get started. You know, that yeah. stop, start, stops them from starting. So like, what are some like steps you feel like people can actually take to move this forward? Yeah. Well, first step I usually say is why are you uncomfortable? Ask yourself that and and sit down and actually write it down. Why are you uncomfortable? And this isn't to be like, you know, sarcastic. This is let's list out the reasons because once we see all of those, I can promise you we're gonna find answers in the steps that we can take to remedy it. So the first question is, why am I uncomfortable about this topic? Do I feel as if I'm not knowledgeable? Do I feel like as if I haven't read enough? Do I feel uncomfortable speaking up? Ask yourself all of these questions because knowing where you are and, and taking the ego out of it because the ego has no place <laughs> when it comes to this work. Once you take the ego out of it, you can start to see, oh, these are all things that I can remedy. The second thing I usually say is let's audit your currency. And currency, we usually talk about in terms of money, but it's not just money, it's time, it's resources, it's privilege, which is your power. Audit all of it. What do you have at your disposal? How much time do you have to volunteer? How much time do you have to read a book? Um, How much time do you have to learn? How much time do you have to maybe put yourself in uncomfortable situations so that you can learn more about lived experiences? What resources do you have? Um, I think on the episode that you were talking about, I had a friend offer up her Airbnb to to five Black female business, small business owners, knowing that the failure rate for us within the first five years is so high, she just said, hey, take the space. That was a resource that she gave us so that we could have the time and space to plan and organize what we needed for our business. And I think we 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 think so much in only time or money, we don't realize all of the other privileges that we have that can be beneficial to someone else. Um, then I say audit your knowledge bank. I mean, Truth be told, you cannot show up for everybody in every situation. (laughs) Like that's the first thing you have to reconcile yourself with. Otherwise you will become spent and wellness is a part of all of this. And if you're not well trying to show up for someone else, then you're doing it from a deficit. So think about the things that you want to know. What what maybe in your sphere, in your clinic, in your hospital, what topics have come up that you you're like, uh, I had no nothing about, I can't even contribute. 
pick one to two topics and say, hey, for this month, I'm going to learn about trans visibility. For this month, I'm going to learn about, you know, just pick your pick the topic. And then how do you learn best? Do you like to read books? Because I always say in 2020, the book sales skyrocketed for all those anti-racist books. And it was like, but you don't read five books from your favorite author in a month. How are you going to read these five books in a month with these heavy topics? So be realistic about the time that you have. I'll have people in our strategy session say, I only have 30 minutes a week. Awesome. Let's find all of the things. Are there TED Talks? Are there articles? Are there Is there research that you can put in that 30 minutes? And then when you have the 30 minutes, let the timer go and let's see what you can learn in that bit of time. But also when you're learning, look at it as if how you're going to implement, not just the knowledge that you are going to acquire. How can this be used in your daily life? Um, and, and I'd say pick your favorite mediums to start. If you only like listening to podcasts, start with podcasts. There's plenty of them. There are plenty of topics that you can, you can explore. Um, so audit your currency, audit your knowledge bank, and then your accountability and community. The goal of all of this is to build community. That's, that is literally the goal because in a community, there are diverse perspectives, there are diverse people, people come and go, and there's supposed to be support in, in a real village or a real community. So do you have a book club that you are can be a part of? Do you have someone else, a friend that says, hey, I want to learn about this too. Can we maybe meet up once a month and talk about the things that we want to do? Can we volunteer at these spaces? And also be willing to have hard conversations with those people. Um, I created the membership building allyship because I recognize Black people have a group chat. When something happens at work and it's something dealing with our, our racial identity, we go to the group chat and like, you will not believe what happened. And there's support in that space or there's challenging in that space. Like, okay, but could you have done X, Y, Z? I didn't feel like white people had that. <laughs> I felt like they were going into this like, we want to help, we want to help. And then there was no space for them to have these conversations with themselves. They were trying to have them with other Black people or other people of color. And, and in my head, healing for people of color and learning for white people doesn't need to happen in the same space. It doesn't because there are two different intents and that's where you start to get those heads budding. So in my membership, I said, we're going to, we're going to have hard conversations. You're going to be able to talk about the things that you don't feel like you can say out loud because I want you to get it out so we can have conversations about it. So audit your currency, audit your um, knowledge bank, audit your accountability and community. Um, and then I'm adding one because I'm, I've recognized after the last three years, learn how to regulate. <laughs> learn how to regulate yourself. Unfortunately, as healthcare providers, they did not teach us that in school. They taught us how to serve. They taught us how to show up for others. We already are allies to those patients that walk in our door. But unfortunately, we take in so many stories and take on so much hardship. We don't realize that we do a lot of things from a deficit. So figure out what your regulation is going to be, what your activities, what your habits are going to be. Because when you have weeks like we had in Nashville with a mass shooting, legislators getting expelled. I mean, we had it one, two, three, four. By the end of the week, I was so exhausted 
thinking about showing up, showing up for other people, having the conversations. And I realized, man, I'm depleted. So adding to that, make sure that you understand this work is going to require you to do it from a regulated space. So figure out what that looks like for you. So great. I think as therapists, a lot of therapists listen to making the shift. We can identify with how clearly you spelled it out. And it's it's a goal essentially that we're used to writing, but we're doing it for ourselves. You have delineated very clearly what you know the criteria is, what supports we need in order to make it happen, um, and that reflection process too. So thank you, because yeah. it's necessary to know the how, not just that I should, Absolutely. but you know, because the what is it? The road to hell is paved with good intentions, and it's. <laughs> have the best intentions all day long but by you spelling it out that way that helps tremendously good good that's so powerful I get chills when you speak because of just the way you say things it's I just hope everyone is getting this message and that this does result in people going out and taking action and can you tell everyone more about your membership because it's for therapists right well, it, it's actually for people in health and wellness, or healthcare and health and wellness, um, but it's for anyone, honestly, who wants to join it because all of the basics can be used wherever you are. Um, the goal for me was I knew there were, there were things that DEI practitioners couldn't do in the workspace because they have to accommodate multiple perspectives. And I knew people wanted to do deeper work into figuring out what they believe. So the mindset behind the membership is head, heart, hands, figuring out what's in your head, what you have believed, what you have valued, so that you can understand what is in your heart and why it's impacted, how you've done whatever work that you've done. And now it's, okay, now that we know what you believe, what do you want to believe? What are the steps that we can take so that we can, one, make allyship a core value and we can change some of the lived experience you've had so that you can kind of broaden your perspective? So we do that through monthly focus groups. Sometimes it's just discussions like this last week we had one called Ish Happens, Now What? The Aftermath of Tragedy and What You Can Do and How You Can Regulate for Yourself. Um, sometimes I bring speakers in, mental health providers. Um, I've had midwives. I've had MDs that work in community. Um, basically, just bringing in different perspectives and expertise for different topics so that everyone can learn. Um, we've got, we've shifted because in the beginning we had so much time on our hands in 2020. Now we don't. So we read one book a quarter as opposed to two to three. <laughs> one book a quarter. We have um, discussions. Uh, I give one resource a week for people to go through. Sometimes we'll just have group breathing like techniques so that everybody can come together and do some regulation. It's basically a space where you can learn how to transform what it looks like to be an ally. And then usually after the first six months, everybody's ready to move. So now then you're allowed to like take a one-on-one -on -one with me, which is just 30 minutes of us figuring out what's, what's your passion. Like if your passion is hiking, I don't want you to throw that away. I don't want you to throw yourself away in allyship. I want you to bring yourself to the table. So how can we take what you've learned and look at your passion, which is hiking? Does that mean we need to look at the spaces, the accessibility, the diversity of it? Because once it's something that you've internalized again, you're going to be like, okay, I know exactly what I want to do in this space. Um, so then we kind of transform it from allyship to advocacy because advocates to me, you can move on your own. 
you you can do things because you understand what the lived experience is. You've learned from those voices and what they've asked you to do so you can mobilize without them. So that is kind of the gist of building allyship. Okay, I can't wait to join. First of all, that sounds amazing. And we will definitely link that below. And you also are doing strategy sessions, right? And who are those for? So that's for anybody who says, hey, I want to show up, but I'm uncomfortable. I don't know where to start. Um, I was finding people were picking some of the most intense books to start with and I'm like yeah if we've never done any of this me and white supremacy is not the book I'm gonna have you read we're probably gonna start with so you want to talk about race (laughs) it helps you and it kind of gives you that beginner language so that you can start to have the conversations too Um, and then if you say I I have a project that I want to work on I'm in a space where there is no people there are no people of color there are no anybody from any marginalized community and I want to do this work okay let's figure out what that looks like for you so that's kind of the combination of who I say everybody whoever wants to come can can learn how to be an ally (laughs) amazing well we just cannot thank you enough for this conversation Oh, I'm so excited um, to get it out into the world. And (laughs) where is the best place for people to find you? So my main social media is Instagram, Dr. Period J-Pop. Email is info at drjpop.com and website is drjpop.com. And very last question. I have to know where does J-Pop, the nickname, come from? Oh, so uh, I have a family friend whose name is Jill and our uncle nicknamed us Jilly Pop and Jenny Pop when we were little. Um, But they used to call us Jenny Pop Pop. And so I just decided that I was going to use it, but drop it and make it a little more professional. Still keep a little fun with (laughs) J-Pop. I love that. I could not do the same with my um, nickname of Poopsie. That would not fly very well. No, don't know about that one. (laughs) Amazing. Anything I'm missing, Selena? Oh, I think we, there's so many more avenues I'd love to go down with you and hear you talk about. I could sit here and listen to you all day. I really appreciate your time and you sharing what you've learned and through that process, helping others be in that seat of learning and action as well. And thank thank you you to everyone who joined us here today. We're so grateful to you and till next time. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.